if God has done anything in our midst, and if God will ever continue his work in our midst, it will be, something, it will be because people humbled themselves enough allowed themselves to become weak enough that they discerned their need for others and the limits of their place, like my dad has shared so many times. And they paid the price to become of one mind and one accord and to stay of one mind and one accord. And because they, they were utterly and completely dissatisfied with everything the flesh could produce in all of its brilliance, in all of its elaborate display, in all of its strength. They were still completely dissatisfied with the flesh. Amen. And if you don't feel that way in your life, that's the difference between you and those who are going to advance the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. If you don't feel that desperation, that panic in your spirit when the flesh is starting to get comfortable, amen, when the flesh is no longer needing God that much, amen. Paul said, the carnal man cannot appraise the things of the Spirit. He cannot comprehend them. And my translation says he cannot appraise them, for they are spiritually discerned. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. They're there, but to the carnal man, they're not there. They're speaking, but to the carnal man, there's silence. The things of the Spirit are moving, but to the carnal man, all is still. Amen. God is real. God is active. God is working his miracles. But to the carnal man, maybe there's thunder. Maybe there's lightning. Maybe Paul fell off a horse. But there's not much going on. The carnal man cannot discern the things of the Spirit. They're right there, but he can't discern it because they are spiritually discerned. We know he used stronger language in Romans 8. He said the, the, man, the natural man is opposed to the things of God, implacably opposed, irreconcilably opposed. Amen. He can't even, not only does he not discern it, but he hates it. He hates what it inclines him toward, the weakness it inclines him toward, the humility it demands of him. He hates it, the uncertainty that it makes him walk in. He wants to walk by sight and not by faith. Break this down and put it in black and white and just tell me what the bare minimum is and I'll do it, says the carnal man. And he's completely deaf, blind, dumb to the things of God, even though they be all around him. When Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, 
What did he say to him? He said, Nicodemus came and said to Jesus, we know you're from God because nobody could do what you're doing unless God were with him. It's clear that you're from God. And Jesus didn't say, that's a good step. Come to a few more meetings, try to open your heart. He didn't say that. He flipped it on Nicodemus and he said, unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. And the first thing he said was, see, you won't even see it. What he was telling Nicodemus is, it's not good enough to recognize that one man has come in the anointing of God. I only came to inaugurate a kingdom. And that kingdom is what you've got to become aware of. And that kingdom is what you've got to become a part of. So let's take the focus off of the individual man who's so gifted and let's say there's a kingdom that you're blind to and if you don't get that, you don't get why I came. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is perplexed and troubled by this, asks all kinds of strange questions, and Jesus comes back again and he says, most assuredly I say to you, unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus says something that indicates why. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. <laughs> and that which is born of spirit is spirit. <laughs> now, what is his clear implication? That the kingdom of God is spiritual. That the kingdom of God happens in a realm, in a place that the man that is only born of the flesh can never discern. Don't marvel that I say you must be born again, because of course, that which is born of flesh is just flesh. Something's got to happen in you to awaken you to something that is going on in a realm that you have no senses to discern. Amen. It's like a dog that can hear in a frequency that the human ear cannot detect. Well, think that the entire reign of God in the world and his body and his church it's happening in a frequency that the carnal man cannot detect. And unless something changes that awakens a new sense, a new awareness in you, this kingdom is going to pass you by. Amen. The whole idea is to get you in this kingdom. This kingdom is not just, what he's talking about is not just a formula to achieve salvation. He's talking about getting someone in the place of God's salvation. Amen. The kingdom of God. And you can get in the place of God's salvation, but it would be like a man going to heaven, but having no senses to discern it. The golden streets and the city of light and the lamb on the throne and the praise of the elders and the shouts of glory and hallelujah and this incredible place and the river of life and the tree of life and the tree in the midst of the garden and all of this, but he's blind and he's deaf and he has no feeling. He can't discern it. Amen. It's the same with the kingdom of God. There is a place of salvation 
that is called the kingdom of God. Amen. But if something doesn't happen to awaken us to these, this reality, amen, we could be in the midst of it and yet be completely outside of it, completely miss it in our lives. Amen. That which is born of spirit is spirit. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. People try to say, oh, what he's talking about is you're not going to get the kingdom of God until you die and go to heaven. No, that's not what he's talking about. Of course that. But in Mark 9, verse 1, Jesus said to those standing around him, many of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Amen. Every single one of them tasted death. Every single one of them died. But the kingdom of God came before they tasted death. Amen. Amen? But something was awakened inside of them, some, some new awareness of God, some experience And when this happened, not everybody discerned it. Not everybody heard it. Not everybody saw it. Not everybody felt it. Some thought men were drunk. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. My kingdom, when Jesus stood before Pilate, what did he say? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would pick up swords and fight. But my kingdom is from another place. But that kingdom is going to come before any of the apostles tasted death. It's going to come with power. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Because what? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. The liberty of the sons of God who have been conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Amen. Out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's love. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want to ask you a question. When Jesus, um, in some of the Gospels, right after he had done the miracle of the loaves and fishes, and in one of the Gospels, immediately on the heels of him performing that miracle, what did they do? They grabbed a crown. Who knows who brought that crown? But they grabbed a crown, and they tried to forcibly make him king. Amen? And this idea that they wanted a natural solution to their real problems, it was really prevalent throughout Jesus' ministry. There were times when those who really did not end up being followers or disciples of him would say things like, if you're the one, tell us plainly. You know, maybe this is the one who came to throw off the yoke. Amen. Why don't you go up? This is your time. Why don't you go up and be seen? Amen? So there were people in Jesus' day, the Pharisees would have been considered the right wing. Amen. They really wanted this restored to what it was supposed to be. And in the end, in some of the revolts, they were very instrumental. They had a very clear picture of what needed to happen. And they had a very clear picture of a natural kingdom coming in their situation. Amen? And Jesus, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he probably comes from this perspective of, you know what? This man may actually be the one. Well, what one? The one to throw off Rome. Amen? And Jesus is trying to tell him, 
accepting me into that framework is a complete waste because I didn't come to fit into that framework of your natural kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So in John's version, when Jesus has this great following after the loaves and the fishes, immediately after that is when he begins to talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Unless you partake of Christ. I am the bread which comes down from heaven. We are that one loaf. Unless we partake of one another, that koinonia have fellowship with one another, breaking bread with one another, the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all sin, you have no life in you. Amen? And it's, it's on the heels of that and even referring to that that he says, the words I speak are spirit and they are life. You ask, why did he say that? He wanted to say something. Everything he was doing, they were fitting into the boxes of their old dead expectations. They were fitting him into their old carnal expectations and their natural solutions. So he wanted to say something that could not be understood naturally. He wanted to say something that had to pry them loose from that framework that was going to make all the promises of God stillborn and aborted. Amen? So he says something, and they're sitting there hurting in their brains. What on earth is he saying? And many are offended. That's when he says, the words I speak are spirit and they are life. And that's when he says, the flesh profits nothing. That's what they were so eager for, was fleshly solutions. Amen? The flesh profits nothing. The spirit gives life. And again, referring to that, he says to them, he asks them this question in John 6, 61. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? And you can see why it would, can't you? Amen? Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus says, I can see that some of you are offended that I talked about eating flesh and drinking blood. Does this cause you to stumble? Well, then how offended are you going to be when you see Jesus rise into heaven? Well, why would that offend them? Why would that cause them to stumble, literally disappoint them? Why does he say that something about him rising into heaven is going to cause people to be offended or stumble or disappointed? What was the very last words that his disciples said to him before he rose into heaven? Very last words out of their mouth before Jesus lifted off. Is it at this time? It's been really good what you've been doing and you've confused us a lot and uh, we're anxious for the future because we know a promise is coming, but uh, you know, we've, we sense that something is about to happen and we're not even sure if you're gonna be there when we turn around the next time. So uh, is, it, is it now? <laughs> It's getting kind of late in the picture. Is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? 
It was almost like they were saying to him, we don't have a clue why you died. We don't have a clue why you didn't let us take up swords and fight. We don't have a clue why you emptied yourself and became of no reputation. We don't have a clue, but we would like to get on to the, the kingdom because that's what this has all been about for sure, Lord, right? Is it at this time you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? What does he say? He says, it's not for you to know times and seasons. That shouldn't really be your concern. But after that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be. And those who have the mindset of the millennial reign would think governors, mayors. He said, after that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses. What we talked about last week, you shall bear witness to something. In Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the uttermost ends of the earth. This kingdom is not just going to be in Jerusalem, but in Judea, and not just Judea, but Samaria, and not just Samaria, but the uttermost ends of the earth. And your part is going to be bearing witness to something. Amen. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you be clothed with power from on high. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So why would it offend them to see him rise into heaven? If they're expecting everything in the natural, in the material, in the physical, to see him rise up into heaven, what does it say? He ascended on high and he gave gifts unto men. He gave gifts of the spirit unto men. And if there were people who were interpreting and absorbing all he was doing into their carnal, natural expectations, and they saw him rise up into heaven, then all of their expectations would be upended in that moment. And you could see how they would be let down even as he was ascending. Amen? So that's what he's saying in John 6. He says, does this cause you to stumble? What will you, what will you do when you see the Son of Man rise into heaven? So the most stupendous event in human history, when God highly exalts the Son of Man, amen, and bestows on him the power of all the heavens and all the earth, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, amen. When that happens and he commissions the power of his kingdom, there will be some people who were disappointed by that, who all of their expectations just went... <laughs> They were disappointed when he went to the cross. It says all of those that followed him were scattered and they watched from a distance. But then he's resurrected, so all their expectations come back up. And then he rises into heaven. We need you right, dear, right down here on earth where we are. But what did he say? It is expedient that I go away or else the comforter will not come. Amen. He didn't want them doing what Nicodemus was doing in that moment just praising and giving accolades to the man and his super giftedness. He wanted them recognizing a kingdom. Amen. He wanted them to inherit a kingdom. That's what he said he came to do. I came to bestow a kingdom. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. You see, Pentecostals, these Pentecostals, 
And if you listen, maybe you'll get something that you can help share with them in the future. These Pentecostals, they see themselves as citizens of this world. Okay, they see it as citizens of Judea instead of Rome, and they just want to get Judah back to where it should be. But they see their lives and their, their, their identity and their future, everything is in this world. And they want to know what they need to do in order to be okay in this world and expect heaven and the world to come. And so they turn these things into a formula. And they say, well, this is how you enter the kingdom of God. And they correctly say, you need to be born again. You need to speak with other tongues. But what does that do if you just step into that kingdom and then step right back out? The experience, the initial evidence is only as good as it represents the threshold into a whole new kingdom where God is reigning. If there doesn't exist a real place where God is reigning, where the kingdom is present with power, then that initial threshold just becomes a mockery. Amen. It's like going into a prison camp and saying, you know, I know all of you are captives or you're POWs. Um, you know what? I got a solution for you here. If you'll just cross your heart and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. Ooh, I don't even want to do that. I've never done that. <laughs> if you'll just do this, amen, you'll be saved. No, the pledge, the pledge corresponds to what is. Amen. And when you're being inducted as a citizen into the country, yes, you have to make the pledge. But the pledge corresponds to the reality. You can't just go into a prison camp and say, stay here, the doors aren't opening, the chains aren't coming off, nothing is changing, you're not, cha you're not going over back to the country, but just say the pledge and you're good. Well, what are you good for? <laughs> Amen. That's not what Jesus was doing though, was it? He wasn't setting up a formula. He wasn't setting up something that we do so that we can live in the world still. He was setting up he was showing us the doorway into a precarious space where God unfolds his relationship with us. A place that is a house, a spiritual house, where we are being built together as lively stones to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. So he says to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going, but you hear its sound. So is it with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Something happens, you don't know where it's coming from, which means you didn't initiate it and you don't know where it's going. That means it's not contained by your analytical mind. For once, something has taken over your life that you're not in control of. This whole bondage and deception that Satan has held people in their whole lifetime is based on false control. You do this and you'll be like God. If you'll subject yourself to this tree of knowledge, you'll be like God. So this experience that Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus is to undo that. He's saying there is a realm there is a place, there is a reign of God in the world, but it happens in a dimension that you don't even have the senses to discern. So something's gotta happen to you 
that brings you to an awakening of something that your, your natural man doesn't even know is there. Amen. If I wrote down on this paper a whole bunch of Russian and you had no clue what it meant and I told you to go to Russia to a crowd of 3,000 people and take my paper and just read it, would you do it? If you really trusted me, you might. But you just think how much trust it would take for you to take a piece of paper and communicate before a multitude words you had no clue what they meant, that you had no clue what they meant. That takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? What on earth is, I don't even know what I'm saying. Amen. How much trust do you have to have in the person who told you to say it? He says to Nicodemus, don't marvel that I say you must be born again because the wind blows where it wishes. You don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going, but you hear the sound of it. So is it with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You hear the sound of it. Amen. And we know that in Acts 2, the fourth chapter, the fourth verse, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together of one mind and one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared divided tongues like as of fire, one resting on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And there were devout Jews living in the city, and when they heard this phone, verbatim, the same word Jesus used, when he said, you hear the phone of it, you hear the sound of it. And when they heard this phone, this sound that occurs with everyone who is born of the Spirit, not with some, not with a few, but with everyone who is born of the Spirit, they were astonished and perplexed. What's going on here? They didn't have a framework for, for receiving this. The things of the Spirit are foolishness. Amen? But it's not all about speaking in tongues. You see, if God wants to reign in the spirit, if God wants to set up a kingdom that is not of this world but that is spiritual, then he's got to get people in a place of such faith that they would do things that they don't see the consequences of. And they would say things that they don't know who they're speaking to. And they would go places like Philip and they wouldn't know where they were going. He's got to get people in a place of trust to move out and begin to expand his reign in this realm that is not of their control. So it becomes obvious to us why as the sign that they trust him that much, that they are that surrendered to him, it becomes obvious to us why he would use speaking in tongues as a sign. I trust this God and this feeling so much Amen. I didn't used to be able to stand up and, tell, and say, t- say to the servant girl that I knew him. But now I can stand in front of all Jerusalem and a multitude of others that are gathered. And I can speak Russian when I've never heard anybody speak Russian. And I don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. But you'll hear the sound of it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That place, when you're born of the Spirit, when you, you pray. Jesus said, he has been with you but he will be in you. Why did he say that to them? Because most people who want to receive the Spirit get a little scared at the unfamiliar nature of it. They're familiar with feeling the presence of God when we sing How Great Thou Art or Amazing Grace, 
They're familiar with feeling the presence of God when even a Baptist preaches under the anointing a message of repentance. But they're terrified of the thought of something happening that they have no framework, they have no, they have no framework to even incorporate it, to understand it. Does that make sense? Well, what, what's gonna happen? Will I be able to stop? Amen. I don't want to tell a mom, but she, when she first started speaking in tongues, she, never, she wasn't familiar with the phenomenon, had never heard of that. And, and she went up and was filled with the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues, and the girl next to her said she'll never speak in English again, and she clapped her hand over her mouth. Amen. Nobody wants that to happen. That's a scary thing. But that's why Jesus said he has been with you. You know what it feels like to sing how great thou art and to feel the Holy Ghost. You know what it feels like to receive a truth of God that pierces you to the heart, cuts you to the quick. Just like those in the Old Testament heard the voice of the prophets and repented. Amen? You know what it feels like to rend your heart, to weep, to cry out in prayer. You know that feeling. He has been with you. The risk is can you trust him enough to speak Russian when he hands it to you? Can you trust him enough to yield your prayer and let his power start taking over you and motivating you with an energy and a force and eventually a direction that you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, but you hear him taking over, amen, speaking words that you didn't initiate, amen? You don't just sit there and hang there. Whenever God wants to fill me with the Spirit, I'm ready. I'm waiting patiently on God. I've been waiting for years. My grandmother, who's a Lutheran, said, if God wants to fill me with the Spirit, that's fine with me. Well, I'm glad he has your permission, but guess what? He's never going to because God can only anoint what you have surrendered. If you sat in the meeting and heard him sing how great thou art and held yourself back and said, that man doesn't really feel what he's saying. Look at him. And you criticized every man. You wouldn't feel anything in how great thou art. The only reason you feel something is because you open your emotions up and you let that feeling have you, have your heart. And as it takes you, you give more and more to it. Soon you're crying. You didn't plan on crying. You didn't initiate those tears. But the feeling has taken you and given you something that you didn't have. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. You don't initiate it, you don't plan it out, you don't overthink it, but you just open your heart, amen, and you say, yes, God, I know what it feels like, and you begin to pray with your understanding, and you feel the Holy Ghost, and you pray a little more, you feel a little more Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit knows how to pray through us, amen, makes intercession through us with groanings and utterances that we cannot comprehend, amen, and pretty soon he's taking you in a place that you didn't even know was there. Amen. And when you cross that threshold, boom, and you find that faith. Paul said we receive the Holy Spirit by faith. And when you find that faith and you're speaking in unknown tongues and you're glorifying God and you're free, freer than you've ever been in your life, that becomes the precedent, the sign for the rest of your walk with God. The rest of your reigning in the kingdom happens right there. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise.
you, Jesus. Thank 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 you, Jesus. Amen. So the goal is not to have the experience to peek our head through the door, breathe in the fresh air of the Holy Spirit, then shut it and go back and live in this soggy, muggy world, amen, and call ourselves saved. We're not saved, amen. The experience is only as good as it corresponds to a a live life, a reality on the other side of the threshold, amen? Amen, the goal is to begin to sing like we spoke in tongues, to begin to pray like we spoke in tongues, to begin to feel after what's happening in the spirit in the same way, that that paradox of complete surrender and total faith, amen. To begin to love like we spoke in tongues, amen. To let God be God and let this mind be, be, be circumvented, amen. And let the Holy Ghost begin to speak words to us and through us that are not flesh but that are spirit and that are life, amen. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So it doesn't become the sign that my life with God is over. It becomes the sign that I've surrendered that much, that I have that much faith in God, and I can do anything. If I can be that vulnerable, if I could speak words I don't understand, if I could give him, give him voice when I don't even know what he's saying, amen, then maybe I can begin to live in my life in that same surrendered way, amen. Praise you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus. And it's through those people that the kingdom of God is going to come through, amen. Amen, his will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, amen. No resistance, no calculation, amen. No fear, no pride, no fig leaves, amen. Amen. No entertaining of the other voices that want to tear this apart. Amen. Just faith and love because I know this feeling, God, this is the same thing I felt over there and over there. And when I first crossed the threshold, amen, here I come again, Lord. Amen. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That kingdom that is not of this world. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So God is not waiting. We're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. Amen, waiting for us to have that much faith, waiting for have that, us to have that much, that much trust in him. Amen, waiting for us to give him voice. Amen, 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 amen. And if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, quote unquote, but you're a carnally minded man, I want you to know you've lost it. And I don't care what you've experienced. All that matters is, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? What did Paul say? Be not drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a correlation between the loosening, amen, the surrender, making a fool for yourself when you're drunk on wine, amen, and making a fool for yourself and releasing yourself when you're drunk on the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm not talking about being foolish. 
but it's trusting that God knows what he's doing better than I do. Amen. If you're a man of the Spirit, then your initial experience was the first day of the rest of your life. But if you're not, and you just tasted it, you're no better than the Pentecostals, and you make a mockery of it. You've turned it into a formula, amen, and you sit inside your prison walls, walls of fear, walls of pride, amen, hallways of selfish ambition and the course and plans of men, amen, and you might cross your heart every now and say, I pledge allegiance to Jesus, amen, kind of a touchstone, a reminder, but you're still in prison, amen, and until you get out of your comfort zone and let God begin to take you in a way you would not go. You don't know what it means to be part of his kingdom. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So that's what you need to do today. You need to say, God, forgive me for making it a moment in time and let it be the precedent for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. I want to live like I first spoke in tongues. Amen. Hallelujah.